Thank you, Steve. Um, surprise. <laughs> so, I guess you hit my front to ask me today, um, actually 20 minutes ago, when I was going to be speaking, and I said, I don't know, I guess you'll have to find out, and uh, here we are. So, um, I'm Chance Ray, an alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is uh, January 12th, 2016, and for that I am eternally grateful. Um, it seemed like just yesterday I was sitting in your shoes for 60 days. Congratulations on that, by the way. That's that's a long, long time. And uh, I remember 60 days and uh, can hardly remember how to get out of the parking lot. Um, but that's awesome. Keep coming back and it works. Um, and so I guess I'm supposed to share with you guys in a general way of what it was like and what happened and uh, what, it, what it's like now. And so we'll get right into that. Um, and by the way, I apologize for how I'm dressed. I was taught um, at an early age that I should dress up nice for this stuff, and I was kind of a uh, didn't know this was going to happen. So <laughs> here I am. But uh, anyway, so I was born in Colorado, um, October 5th, 1984. Um, a long ways away from here. Um, I was. Uh, I have a younger brother. And of course, mother and father who uh, did their best, and they were actually great parents. Um, my father was an alcoholic, um, and I never actually met uh, my grandfather on my dad's side because of alcoholism. He got um, uh, he died of cirrhosis of the liver. So some could say I was predestined for this um, on my father's side, anyways. Um, my mother's side, not so much. My, he, my grandfather was a pastor, 30 years. Um, religion, 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 you know, was ingrained in my head from an early age. I've always known of God and who God was. Um, I guess you wouldn't call it the Baptist type where you're standing on benches and, and screaming and hooting, but I was a Presbyterian, raised Methodist. Um, you know, and, and growing up, uh, and by the way, we moved from Colorado when I was three, and um, my dad owned a landscape company, and we moved to Georgia for that reason. I was born, I was raised in Gainesville, um, and Gainesville's out there a little bit west of here, but um, in Gainesville, it was a pretty small country area. Um, I definitely felt from day one that I didn't fit in um, from the beginning. Um, I had in elementary school, well, as early back as elementary school, I remember having glasses, braces, and pimples. And so, if you've ever had all three of those at once, you realize that, first off, you don't look normal. Secondly, you, you know, I, I felt very insecure. I felt very not a part of, um, you know, and, and that's how it started. And um, I remember in, in elementary school, especially when we would play kickball, um, you know, people wouldn't pick me on their team, and I felt it because of my, the way I looked. You know, and it could have been other things. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily the poster child of a, of a child either. Um, you know, I always, I, I believe in third grade I had the most uh, strikes in a year in, in third grade history at that school. So if you got written up once, it was a strike, and I got like 35 strikes that year. And, uh, and it just went on from there. But I was actually a decent student. I, I tried to get A's. I tried to listen. I, I was actually, um, I think, ranked 40th in my class in, in high school. Um, 
uh, you know, and, and all through school, I never saw my dad drink because he stopped drinking when I was uh, one or two. So I never saw that. But I did see my dad, um, while we were growing up, display what it's like to be irritable dis, uh, and discontent. Irritable and discontent was my dad to his teeth. Um, and he would snap. He was he was a big old guy too, like mountain man, full beard. Uh, you know, just he, he could not tell it was my dad. I mean, his arms were huge. He didn't play around with my dad, and uh, whatever he said goes. And uh, I was I was intimidated, and that's how Clancy would tell his story about his father. He was intimidated, um, and that was me. Um, you know, I, I I never really had a say. You know, I felt like I was on the inside screaming out, you know, kind of deal. And never really could express myself because my dad was always there to make sure that I didn't go too far. Um, and then, you know, growing up, it was it was that way. Like, braces, glasses, and pimples all the way through middle school. Um, in the beginning of high school, very insecure, didn't, didn't, was not a ladies' man, did not talk to any girls, got shriveled up, and, uh, had no girlfriends growing up in, in school and all that, and I saw all these other friends of mine. I thought they were so awesome, and but I was I just couldn't do it because I was so insecure. And about 17 or 18, um, that that's the part where what happened comes to play. Um, when I was 17, my parents decided, well, we're going to move, um, we're going to move to Virginia, and we're going to give you an option. If you want, you can come with us and start a new life in your senior year of high school, or you can stay here. And I chose to stay here. I didn't even think twice about it. My brother and then left and went to Virginia. And that was, and then my whole senior year of high school, I was on my own. And I, I think I lived with my youth pastor's parents um, for a year. And then after that point, I uh, still haven't even drank. Still at 17, almost 18, haven't drank, haven't smoked, haven't uh, smoked anything else, haven't done anything else. Um, you know, haven't even touched it. Um, but about 18, when I got out of the youth pastor's parents' house, I um, moved into this other house. And this house was, uh, you knew right away when you went back there, it was about two miles in the woods, and it was, you know, Beer cans all over the place when we got there. My parents helped me move in. I was like, wow, this is, this is going to be fun. This is going to be awesome. And, and sure enough, we had 300, 300 people party every, every weekend. We had 300 people coming to, coming to this house in the woods. And uh, this is the beginning of my what happened. Um, I literally started drinking for the first time and had no supervision, no parents, no nothing telling me to do anything. And... Uh, part of me, half of me wanted to say, yeah, I want good grades, but I want to keep going, I want to get in college, I want to do great things. And, and I always had, by the way, growing up, let's backtrack, I had this vision of owning a pizza place because I delivered pizzas in this 1986 Ford Escort that my dad thought would never run more than two months, and that thing ran six years. And, I, and it was just, I made so much money doing deliveries and pizzas and stuff, I was like, I'm going to own my own pizza company. Because I, I had to be an owner of a company, and I had to look good, and I had to make lots of money, and I had to drive a better car than what I was in. And, you know, this is all in my head. I had to have the big things. I had to be the owner. I, had to, I didn't take orders from anybody. 
you know, that's just how I was built. I don't know if any of you can relate to me with that, but that's just how I was built. I didn't take orders. Um, and so half of me wanted to do that whole deal, and the other half of me wanted to try to shrink it back, you know. And I think it was uh, nasty beer, ice house or something, uh, big old can of ice house, and I tried it, and I drank maybe four ice houses that night during a party, and all I can remember, my first drunk, this is it. You ready for this? I was in the recliner, and I woke up, and I was like, <laughs> and just vomited my guts out for like 10 minutes straight, and then I went back to bed for like eight hours, just sitting like that in a, in a recliner. And that was my first drunk experience. And um, it was awful. I had an awful headache, uh, the worst headache I ever had in my life. And I said to myself, I will never do that again. And I will never do this again. And I will never feel that way again. And I think a couple of us have said that before. Um, and sure enough, within two or three days, I was doing it again. And this time, a little bit settled each time. A little bit more settled in the stomach. I realized that eating food helps, um, you know, and, and, and backtrack a little farther behind that, by the way, I, my last few years of high school, I developed this ego and this pride because I figured out I was pretty good at sports. I played baseball, I was a pitcher, uh, I was a varsity uh, junior and senior year, and that gave me this head, and, and I started talking to girls and, you know, doing what I thought I was, I was supposed to be doing. Um, and alcohol helped me in that transition as well, because I thought I was some big shot high school pitcher, and um, you know, and got out from there, and, and now we're back to where what happened. But um, I kept drinking, I kept drinking and drinking and drinking, and I dabbled in a couple other things, but mainly I know my story is filled with drinking from the very beginning, and I know that's why I belong here because it started and it and it and it went through and it ended with drinking. And um, after a while, um, I think it was three months after that, I, I, joined, I started college. And I, I remember in college, the first thought I had when I looked up there is like, are they not taking gold? <laughs> are they not going to ask me if I'm here? And so as soon as that happened, me and my buddy, we were in the same class. We got out of there. First class, or skip, went and played pool. That was our thing, pool. Pool was the deal. We always skipped and went and played pool. So, and then we had a pool table at that big house in the woods three miles back, and we had pool tournaments and pool parties and pool everything. Um, and pretty good at pool. <laughs> but um, it was just a big part of our life and uh, at the time, and I skipped classes and didn't make it. I, I remember taking in college three classes that were the same. I think I took anthropology three times. Same, <laughs> same one, Ant 101. Um, I took several classes, two or three times, because I knew they were going to be easy. I knew I could stay in college. And fast forward the clock, nine or ten years later, I'm still in college. And I'm like, dude, I got an associate's degree in business. And I'm thinking, maybe I should start getting a bachelor's, you know. <laughs> and, and after eight or nine, ten years, you're like, you probably get a degree, another degree by now. But I, what happened from those eight, nine years, I thought I could live off student loans. I thought I could own my own house. Uh, well, we won't go that far. But I thought I could live off student loans, and I thought I could do all this 
and drink and have parties every day and, and make good grades in college. And then I moved to Kennesaw. And Kennesaw was, I'm just now recovering from Kennesaw. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said I, I, the Kennesaw is the worst thing that ever happened to me. But, you know, it's really right here. Uh, but I moved to Kennesaw and thinking I was going to be a doctor now um, and go get my doctor's degree. So I got, I was in pre-law, I mean, uh, pre-med, uh, trying to be a doctor. And I got accepted actually to a school and didn't even take it. Um, just kept going, kept moving, kept taking all these science classes, kept getting all these student loans, kept doing all this crazy stuff and didn't end up with a degree in that. Didn't end up with a degree in anything. And then I thought it was a good idea to buy a house. And bought a house, um, and this was in the time, this was in 08. So all you know, 08 was a very easy time to buy a house with no job, legit job, and no financial stability. Rented out all the rooms, had parties through that. They paid for my mortgage. They paid for everything. And I still, of course, if you spend more than what you make, you go underwater eventually. So I had that house for about five years. I don't know how, by the grace of God, I had it for that long, but I lost it, um, and after that, you know, after losing the house and after going to final exams, when you're drunk, completely drunk, in the final exam, thinking you're going to pass it, thinking you can actually get something out of this class, you can't, um, try passing Calc 2 or Organic 2 when you're drunk, you know, a final exam, it's not easy. Uh, and so I get out, I, I lose the house, and then about that time, my, my father passed away. He had a heart attack, just fell over dead. And, and he was 55 or something. Um, very young. Freaked me out. You know, my whole life, I felt like was at pretty much an end. And by that time, the what happened got to it pretty much where it was going to get. I was in the, uh, I was, um, on other stuff mixed with my alcohol, but alcohol, of course, is always there. Um, I was completely at my bottom. And I not only lost, well, after my father passed, somehow I, um, I found out I was pregnant. So, lose your house, father passes, find out you're pregnant. And by the way, I'm drinking every morning, every noon, and every night. And we're talking fenders three or four or five days in a row without sleeping. We're talking um, uh, maybe come up for breath for air every once in a while. Um, and let's, let's throw in a couple of DUIs with that. I got four of them. Um, the second one was a hit and run. I uh, was coming back uh, from my birth, birthday party, I thought it was, and um, fell asleep at the wheel at four in the morning, drunk. Hit this old lady in a car, four in the morning, coming back towards here on 75. Car stopped, I stopped, everyone stopped. Um, I asked her if she was okay. She said, yeah, I ran in the woods. And I didn't want to get my third DUI. You know, that was just out of complete fear. Left my car running and everything. Ran in the woods, thought everyone in there, because I was so important, I thought the whole government was after me. I thought helicopters were flying. You know, I was in no shoes, nothing, just running through the woods, looking for a rock to climb under. Um, and I found it, and I came out of there at 8 in the morning, and they, they arrested me all the same. They wondered what a 
crazy looking guy, half drunk, walking with no shoes and anything on, was doing at this time in the morning, walking on the highway. So that was just one of my drunk logs, and there's many more where that came from, but I, I don't want to make it about the drunk logs at this time. Um, but that was one of four DUIs during that time period. So you gotta, you gotta throw in the four DUIs, lost house, father died, uh, and, and, uh, what else? School going nowhere, you know, you, you hit your bottom, and that's about as low as it got for me, and I would think. Um, and then at that point I was drinking in the, oh, and the pregnancy. Okay, so we're pregnant. <laughs> Hold on, forgot about the pregnancy. Okay, so <laughs> we're pregnant now after all this. And, uh, you know, didn't pick, uh, you know, we don't pick the best, you know, we don't, we aren't the best when we're doing what we do when, when I'm like that. So, um, active in, in, you know, the other side, crazy too, not just me, and it's too, pairs of active alcoholics, you know, in this crazy nightmare. Um, so, um, you got that going on, and she's now one, or she, she gets to be one, and after, by that time, I had drank through one. I didn't even see the first steps. I didn't see the first, you know, stuff that a normal father would see, um, you know. And then, like, one and a half, age one and a half, I think it was, I was drinking in the parking lot. Um, at nine in the morning of a lake, the Lake Ackworth. You know, every morning, drinking in Lake Ackworth at nine in the morning because I had to get away, I had to get somewhere. Um, I couldn't put diapers on her, you know, because I was drinking. You know, and that's just how it was. Um, didn't care. Pawn, you know, everything I had. Mm. I can get back to that. <laughs> just thinking about this nightmare was awful. Um, found everything I had, and then I, I actually, one one night, I, I remember saying, God, please help me, and I, after I cried for like an hour, hour and a half, in my car, and so, literally, a little short time after that, I didn't feel like drinking anymore, I didn't feel like drinking at all, but you know how we are, you know, how this guy's wired, I'm a, I'm a hard head, I'm going to keep drinking as long as I can, and do as much as I can, as hard as I can and when I can because I want when I want when I want it. I want what I want when I want it. Um, so that crap went on for, you know, another good six months. And she was about one and a half, my daughter, um, when I said, okay, let's hang it up. In January 12th, I said New Year's. We were about 12 days off. Um, I'm going to drive to Iowa where my mom's side is and get help. And so... I drove to Iowa drunk in my same car that I drive now. I paid 600 bucks for that thing, and I drove it all the way to Iowa. Didn't even think it would make it there. And four days later, almost, driving drunk to Iowa, that you, in case you don't know how far it is, it's about a day out. <laughs> you know, it's not that far, but I stretched it all out as long as I could because I had to get the last two rocks. And... Um, I remember going to the, I stopped every every little scene, every bar you could stop by on between there. And I remember drinking under the, the arch, the, the St. Louis arch, thinking no one's going to ever see me here. I'm drunk and drinking and I'm, you know, whatever. That was my New Year's under the arch and it was pretty awful. Um, you get to that point where you're just desperate. I, mean, I was out of money. 
desperate pawning speakers out of my trunk at Walmart so I could go continue this trip, this magical trip to Iowa. Um, and then, um, you know, when you're pawning speakers in St. Louis at a Walmart, and by the way, it's not necessarily a friendly place to be, you know, <laughs> at night, um, you, you, you know something's up. Something's got to be up, you know, and this has got to stop. So on the third and a half day or something, I ended up driving, uh, I was about 200 miles away. I was like, well, crap, I'm out of gas. And I had no money. So pulled in the gas station, who do I call? My mom. And um, mom broke, had no money, I'm feeling miles out. What, what can you do? Pay this guy over the phone with a credit card, and usually you can't do that. But for some reason, she was able to do it, and she filled my tank up, and I eventually made it there. But and now we're to the uh, well, we're still kind of into what happened. I guess you can call it a lie happened. <laughs> so we get, I get there, I, I check myself into rehab or uh, I I O P intensive outpatient. Um, they didn't have any in, uh, in whatever, EOT or whatever available, so I did IOT. Um, I was the only volunteer that just, here guys, come on. And before, when I had talked to all my doctors um, and all the, the people who prescribed me things to help me focus in school from KSU and all those psychiatrists who were willing to write all these things because I was so honest about my prescription and how, what my condition was, all those were lies. All those were, well, how many, how much do you do to, I take my prescribed people every day. You know, I, I drink one beer on the week, during the week, maybe two, if I'm having stress today, um, for years. And now I get to this place, and I'm so desperate, and I'm so low, that I say, well, you got a second? Because, I, I mean, I drank 25 since this morning, um, about <laughs> 10 of those pills. Uh, since this morning, and I'm not joking, and I, I took, you know, did this, 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 and this. We were completely honest, uh, completely honest for the first time, and she says, well, and this is the crazy part about the scripture. Um, not bad. Sorry, guys. They ended up trying to prescribe me what I was already on. After <laughs> all that, and I was like, are you serious? Do I, do I need a second opinion? Do you hear what I just told you? And and I remember that. This is clear yesterday. And and it's crazy. But um, from there, it was just complete honesty. Let's go. What do you got? What can I do? How can I be a service? What can I do? So I get into AA through this program. This program says, hey, why don't you go to a meeting? You know, we're going to need you to go to a meeting. And let's backtrack about two years. I For these DUIs, they made me go get 30 days, you know, with the chip sign-off papers that some of us do, and, and I'm sure a lot of us have done. I, I have to get 30 papers signed, so I do that. I have them sign all that stuff. I turned my first white chip into a, to a bar up here for a beer, and that's how that went, because I wasn't honest. I was very unhonest. I said, here, and he traded. I ain't going to tell you which bar, because I can't stand that bar now for even doing that, but he, here, have a beer, man. I gave him the white chip. He didn't even care. And that's my first white chip experience. It was a complete non-surrender, complete fakeness. And so the second white chip I get introduced to AA, I, um, I picked up that white chip and I still have the day. 
And I went through the program. Um, at first, these guys kept coming up to me. And they're like, hey, you got a sponsor? Do you need a sponsor? Away from me. I don't need no sponsor. Who are you? I'm, when I'm good and ready, I'll get a sponsor. You know, I wasn't having any of that. I, I thought I might have a problem, but I didn't think it was that big. You know, that I needed a sponsor. Um, and thought it was kind of like cultish, you know, at, at first. And I was like, man, they got me going to these IOPs and now this stuff that I'm not even paying for? And I, and I ended up. Somehow, I kept going, and I kept coming back, because that's what y'all told me. You keep coming back, and, and one of my, one, someone told me, give yourself a chance, man. Give yourself a chance. If you give yourself a chance long enough, and I'm, of course, my only chance, so I was put that in and, and I was like, okay, I can do this. I, I couldn't imagine going one day sober, much less a month or two months. Are you kidding me? Staying sober? No, I haven't done that for 16 years. There's no way I can live like this. And I thought alcohol was my problem. I thought alcohol was always my problem from day one. Alcohol did. That's the reason, you know. Alcohol changes everything. That's, that's why I am the way I am. It's the alcohol. And I thought that for years. The first couple years sober, actually, I thought it was still alcohol. And I realized through this program, that by taking these steps, <coughs> alcohol is not the problem. It turns out I'm the problem. Surprise! <laughs> I am the problem. It turns out I have a lot of resentment, and I have built them up over years and years and years of time. Uh, you'll find it on step four. Um, and that's where I found it, you know. Um, I had a lot of them. Wrote them all down. I, did, I started doing these steps. I started diving in with a sponsor, which you know, I have to have the, the most tenured sponsor, 30 years, and, you know, some wizard of sponsory, you know. <laughs> so, has all the answers, and I'm shaking, walking up to him, asking him. And it was at a halfway house, by the way, my first sponsor. After IOP, they said, well, you should probably go to a halfway house. That's the only place you got left to. I didn't have anywhere else to go. And I'm not moving in with my mom. And, and they said, okay. So, halfway house. This guy that runs a halfway house, 30 years, still rocking it. I mean, he's one of the best members of AA I've, I've still ever come across. I stumbled up to him one day after one of our mandatory meetings, and um, I was like, what? Will you be my sponsor? And I was shaking and all this stuff. And he said, okay, well, let me think about it. And he sat there. You know, the pause where you're like, what are we going to do? Come on, what are we going to do? And I was sweating. I was like, oh my gosh, you're going to say no. You're going to say no. And he just kept pausing. And I was like, I can't take this pause. And so he finally said, okay. And I realized he was praying about it. You know, didn't even put that together. But he was praying about it, whether he should be my sponsor. And he, and he decided to. So um, he had me get in the book. And he said, well... How, we, we're going to go at your pace, whatever pace you want to go at. Uh, how long are we doing? Okay. Um, whatever pace you want to go at. I said, okay, let's go now. Because I know, you know, I need it now. Still do this day sometimes. Need it now. Um, so we get through one through three. 
I realized I had I was powerless over alcohol, but I had to become my man. That was it. Um, can you believe that power greater than ourselves is the source of the sanity? This power wasn't working anymore at all. This power was the farthest thing from working that I ever knew, and and something greater than myself had to be out there. And um, three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. I had no problem doing that because I already knew who God was, and I didn't have this fearful going to hell uh, if you do this purgatory forever stuff. I, I knew he was there, but I didn't know how much he was there with me the whole time. God has always been with me um, through the thick and through the thin. And and that's why I'm here today. Number four, made a searching and fearless one to herself. He said, when you're ready to do four, I said, right now. And he said, well, he, okay, this is how we do it. We write down our names, we have causes, you know, make our little free, uh, make our little uh, columns and stuff. And I said, okay. I said, when should I do this? He said, whenever you're ready. So I, I went downstairs in that uh, halfway house full of 25 guys and went down to the basement and I chugged those things down quick. I mean, I'm talking everything down to the last guy who, who looked at me wrong. I had a resentment for I'm talking real deep with this resentment. If you looked at me wrong in the last 16 years, I wrote your name down. <laughs> it, you know, grandmas, cousins, aunts, uncles, moms, dads, whole deal. I'm talking about colleges, universities that had wronged me and done me so wrong uh, went down on this list. Universities, institutions, places, and things all went down on this list. So I get this thing packed and I'm like, I've got to be missing something. Because, you know, nothing's ever perfect, you know, when I'm brand new and bright. I don't know what's right. I don't even know what's left or right, literally. So that's cool. Uh, admitted to God to ourselves and to another human being of that nature we were wrong. Uh, it was hard for me to tell this guy who I hardly knew all this stuff about me. Um, and crazy secret stuff that I thought would never get out in the open and I'd go to the grave until I die. So I'd tell him all this stuff and it took about three hours, four hours. I'm done. That's it. But I felt this like huge presence on me. Like, you know, if there was a burning bush around at that moment, it would have been during the fist step for me. That first time, because it was just like, this is so much off of me right now. You know, I feel so great right now getting this off my chest forever. Um, and so we go to six, we're to have God remove all these, char- these defects of character. It turns out I have six or seven of these, and I still do from time to time. And character defects do not leave me just because I get sober and I clean up my act. I, I, I have to keep practicing these these principles in all my affairs, no matter what, or, or they will creep back in my life. And I saw from step four where all these were, were used and applied um, for my shortcomings in my life and where I had come up short in so many different ways that I never thought I... I had so much pride. I had so much self-esteem. I had so much personal relationship problems, sexual problems, ambition problems, pocketbook, pocketbook problems. What? Sometimes I still have pocketbook problems. You know, and that's just uh, part of my spiritual maintenance. Um, and then, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings, prayed about it. We, we, you know, that's when I go to God and get rid of these shortcomings. And I still do on a daily basis. God takes these shortcomings away from me because I can't do it by myself. And eight, uh, many of the persons that we had harmed became willing to make amends them all. Um, all those ones on four, I tried my best, and I still have some that I still have to do. You know, I'm. 
I, I haven't done all, um, you know, living in non-living men. But um, going to someone else when you're that young in sobriety and you're, you know, fresh and have this pink cloud and all this stuff, it was hard, you know, going to these people and saying, hey, look, I owe you money. Uh, hey, I uh, screwed you over. Hey, I, uh, uh, you know, did this to you and you didn't even know about it. It was tough. But a lot of them and most of them, and the biggest one, he didn't even care. He actually offered me a job after I did it. And I was like, no, I don't need a job. I'm just trying to make amends here. Um, but man, that was hard. Yeah, it was really hard to make amends to that one. Um, I can't even stress to you how much I thought he was the problem. But in essence, it was me. So I, it turns out I'm the problem in a lot of these situations. Alcohol was never the problem in these situations. It turns out I was the problem and I used alcohol to darken these situations and blot them out and pretend like they never happened. So now that I'm not drinking, what am I, what am I doing as a sufficient substitute? What am I doing as something that doesn't blot out what's in front of me? Um, so nine, uh, major recommends and ten, uh, continue to take personal inventory when we're wrong, promptly admitted it. Um, every day. I wake up, uh, when I wake up, I pray to God to remove my shortcomings. I pray to God, thank you for today's sobriety. Thank you for each day's sobriety. And that's very important. Sometimes I take that for granted. And, and every day, um, as I go to work, there's a lot of times at work, especially the last job, that I had a lot of character defects come out, and sometimes it didn't look pretty in my head, and my head would get twirling, and I'd have to ask God to take this away from me at this moment. I'd have to, I'd have to say, God, I will be done at this moment. I will be done. I'm on my way to run a very big machine and hopefully not tear off my hand. God, I will be done right before I do this, you know, because um, it was that important at that moment. And the younger I am in sobriety, the first year, or the first year and a half, actually, I didn't feel much different. I'm here to tell you, first year, first year and a half, I didn't feel much different up here. My head was twirling and, and all over the place, and it was a big show. And I was so anxious all the time, always, you know, Whatever, I had to be, had to keep it moving, and and it, and it never seemed like it was going to stop. But after about a year and three, four, five months, everything slowed down. May not look like that to you sometimes with me, but I know, <laughs> I know. And after that second year of coming back and back and back and back, life finally slowed down a little bit enough so I could start to have some clarity. But anyway, so we get to eleven thoughts and prayer meditation to improve our conscious contact. God has been interested in praying only for the knowledge of His will for us to try to figure that out. Um, by the way, I just said 11, but it ties in with 10. Uh, 10 is when I actually take the inventory that I've done. If I do something wrong against Leo right now, I, I uh, step on his shoes or something and makes him mad. Maybe I want to apologize for that. Anyone say sorry I stepped on his shoes um, right away. Maybe I don't want to have that resentment come back out. Maybe I want to say, hey, to my boss that I told the F off. Right away, go back and say, hey, boss, sorry I just did this and this and this before I get fired, you know. Maybe I want to do that on a day-to-day basis. Maybe if, if I do one day have another significant other of any sort, 
Maybe they're going to do something and I'm going to do something to them. Maybe I want to go ahead and clear that up that day. Maybe I want to say, sorry, I didn't think of you when the kids were screaming and there was pandemonium everywhere. Sorry about that. You know, right away. We don't want to, I don't want to build it up anymore and let it go a month or two and have her blow off her top and leave forever and leave me with kids that I don't have yet. You know, <laughs> um, that, that's that idea. Number 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, trying to carry this message out all and practicing principles all our affairs, um, that's given back to everyone else. Me trying to go out of my way to do something that was done for me freely and not think twice about it. You know, and, and seeking out newcomers. This program is more than just coming and sitting here and listening and, and, and having conversations and talking to each other. It's about actually helping each other stay sober. And part of helping each other stay sober is taking them through the steps. Not just talking about what we did yesterday or what I did or what I plan on doing for vacation. But it's taking these newcomers through the steps or, or talking with each other about a solution to stay sober. That's what I believe Bill wrote this the big book about. That's what I believe um, this whole program is predicated off of. It's helping each other stay sober. So I know I'm probably, I'm definitely up on my end. So I guess, you know, today um, I live a very blessed life. I'm a very blessed person. I get to see my daughter every day, and I'm thankful for that. Um, beyond words. And um, if anyone out there... If you got anything from this, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad I could feel it. So, that's all I got. Thanks.